Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Teachers who teach God's word should believe God's word. It may be that one might know how to put true words together in a pleasant way without really being committed sincerely to the truth he is teaching. We call such a person a hypocrite. But even a hypocrite might still manage to instruct and even comfort those who hear him if his words are nonetheless true. After all, the power of God's word is the power of God himself, not the power of the lowly servant who speaks it. A classic example of this in the Old Testament is Balaam, who was an itinerant prophet in the land of Moab. The king of the Moabites hired Balaam to curse Israel as they were preparing to enter the promised land and camped nearby. But when Balaam opened his mouth to curse God's children as he was hired to do, God caused blessings to come out instead. This is the same Balaam whose donkey even spoke to him. Yes, God can cause true words to come forth from anyone's mouth. And he can cause those words to do for him and for you what his truth is meant to do. You do not need your pastor to be a sincere and genuine Christian in order to hear the gospel. That is, at least if he does indeed preach what God would have him preach. If the word is true, it's true, right? Sanctify them by your truth, Jesus prayed. Your word is truth. So whether from the mouths of babes or from the mouth of an ass or anything in between, if God says it, we are to take it to heart. But, of course, you would prefer that one who preaches the gospel to you take it to heart as well, wouldn't you? You would prefer that the one who teaches what God would have you believe and do also live according to his creed. Of course you would prefer that. And so would God. It was, after all, for his own disciples that Jesus prayed when he prayed that they themselves would be sanctified by the very truth which they were sent out to preach. Many of us pastors pray right before the service begins, as Luther taught us how. Then, if thou art pleased to accomplish anything through me, to thy glory and not to mine or to the praise of men, grant me out of thy pure grace and mercy a right understanding of thy word, and that I may also diligently perform it. O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, thou shepherd and bishop of our souls, send thy Holy Spirit that he may work with me, yea, that he may work in me, to will and to do through thy divine strength according to thy good pleasure. What a wonderful prayer. A good prayer for teachers who set out to teach. Nicodemus was a teacher. He was a teacher of Israel, and Jesus wanted Nicodemus to know and believe what he was supposed to be teaching. He wanted Nicodemus to seek God's glory rather than the praise of men. He wanted to work in Nicodemus, and not just with him. God can use teachers to teach even when they don't believe what they teach. But he would rather use teachers who do believe. 
Now this is for your sake, of course. It is for the sake of those who need instruction and admonishment and encouragement. One will certainly be better at preaching the gospel if he himself actually believes the gospel. One will be better at counseling you to apply God's word to your life if he knows how to apply it to his own life. He will be better at teaching you how to pray and how to take comfort in the many promises that God attaches to prayer if he actually wrestles with God in prayer himself. It is for your sake that God wants you to have a sincere and believing pastor, but it is also for your pastor's sake. It is for the sake of the one instructing you that God would rather use sincere men to instruct. And this is because God loves those whom he sends to speak his word, just as he loves those whom he gathers to confess it and sing it. He loves those whom he calls teachers of Israel. Consider Isaiah in our Old Testament lesson. He also was a teacher of Israel. God loved him. He gave him a vision. Isaiah was in the temple, and God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the great Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God of Sabaoth, appeared to him and filled the temporal temple with his glory. And Isaiah was undone. His unworthiness to speak and teach was suddenly overwhelming. All he could do was confess that he had nothing worth saying. He was a man of unclean lips, and he dwelt among a people of unclean lips. In his woe and great dismay, Isaiah realized that neither he nor anyone else could speak a word worth speaking, let alone worth staking your life on. For it is from the abundance of the heart that one speaks, and our hearts are filled with sin. And in an instant, he knew it. Proven and true were those words of St. Paul concerning those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Consider Isaiah and see the kindness that God showed to him. It was the same lesson our Lord Jesus taught Nicodemus. See how God silenced Isaiah in order to give him something worth speaking. When no man had anything to say for himself, God spoke from the abundance of his own heart. God spoke with tongs from the altar, a seraph, that is a burning angel, brought a burning coal to his lips that purged him of his sin. The fire that he grabbed from the altar was of such a glory that even a burning angel needed tongs. And what purged him of his sin was the message he was given to speak, a message of him who would bear the burning wrath of God in his place, a message of none other than Christ, what gave him the forgiveness of his sins was a message that he was given to preach. What Isaiah was given to believe for himself. What gave him boldness in the presence of God to say, Here I am, send me. Is that which he was commanded to proclaim to others. It was the gospel. Talk about the Holy Spirit working with him, yea, working in him. And so it was for Nicodemus. He had been silenced, proven, wrong, and foolish. And so Jesus taught him the gospel. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
Or what else should a teacher of Israel teach? Then that message which is able to save even teachers of Israel. As we all know by heart the very next verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Dear Christians, God wants you to know this. He wants you to know the truth. He sends teachers to teach you the truth. He wants the teachers he sends to know and believe what, he, what they preach. The many calls to be pastors to preach the gospel are those whom he has first, who have first been called themselves by the gospel. Not by any reason or strength within them, but by the Holy Spirit who alone can enlighten us. His preachers are sinners who rely on what they're called to preach. God chooses his under-shepherds from among his sheep. Now, the gospel is true for you, whether the preacher believes it or not. But God, who loves you, loves your teachers too. God, who loves your children, loves you too. How much better it is for all of us if both those who hear and those who speak be united together in this wonderful truth that gives us all something worth talking about. As it was for Isaiah, so it must be for us. In order to be prepared to hear the gospel and take it to heart, we must be silenced. Sometimes, as was the case with Nicodemus, we have so many questions and doubts and excuses. We have so much lived experience that we want God to contend with as though he has to answer for all of our notions and ideas and every illusion we have that we ourselves are wise. We have so much so many questions that it's hard to shut up, at least inside our minds, as God tells us things that are hard to understand or hard to accept. But if we don't learn to stop talking and listen instead, if we don't stop our mouths and acknowledge our guilt before God who proves it, well, the only answers we'll get will be our own, and we'll be stuck with only our own, and our own answers cannot save us. Our own answers cannot give us peace with God or eternal life. We need to learn from God. The same holy, holy, holy Lord God, whose presence brought Isaiah to the ground in an instant, was present here before Nicodemus too. But his presence was shrouded and concealed in humility, in the form of a servant, so that he might engage us and talk with us, and teach us what we need to learn. So by night, Nicodemus came to Jesus to get some answers. For even in his humility, enough of his divine glory could be seen for Nicodemus to conclude that he was more than an ordinary man. Rabbi, what? we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The man Nicodemus, the man that Nicodemus confronted, was more than a teacher. He was the same God who confronted Isaiah. In Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, Jesus said to him. He who stands before Jesus stands before all three persons of the Trinity, for they are all together. 
Even the Son of Man, as he spoke to Isaiah, said that the Son of Man is in heaven. Or to Nicodemus, said that the Son of Man was in heaven. They're always together. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness, Jesus said to him. He who rejects Jesus rejects the whole Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples that he, what he says to all the ministers he continues to send, he who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. To reject God's word, no matter who says it, is to reject God himself. The glory that terrified Isaiah and convinced him in a moment was the same glory that Nicodemus argued with. It was hidden. His boldness before Jesus was boldness because he didn't recognize the majesty of Jesus. It was hidden, so he argued. But what showed forth in full effect in the temple to stun Isaiah, here showed forth gently and patiently to convince. And so it is for us. When we engage the word of God, we engage something mighty powerful. We engage not the man who speaks it, but the words of the Holy Spirit who inspired God's almighty word to be written. Yes, he dims the appearance of his glory today by speaking through a lowly sinner like me, not so that we can talk back, but so that in humility we can sit still and learn. To illustrate this point, I'd like to examine what I think is a pretty helpful picture of both one who is rendered silent and one who is, by faith, filled with praise. We consider both by looking at two people, one a teacher, one a hearer. Two people who responded very differently from each other when presented with the Word of God. Like Nicodemus, they were both presented with good news of impossible birth that they could not wrap their minds around. How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. This is what Zacharias said to the angel who told him that Elizabeth, his wife, would give birth to John the Baptist. Like Nicodemus in our gospel lesson for today, Zacharias was a teacher of Israel. But if Zacharias was not going to believe the word of the angel, but disrespectfully ask how he would know whether it's true or not, then God would not use him to do any teaching for him. So God made Zacharias mute and unable to make a sound for nine months until his son was born. It wasn't just to punish him, it was to teach him what every teacher should be teaching. That faith comes by hearing, not by understanding. Now, let us compare this to what happened six months later in Nazareth. The same angel Gabriel appeared to the young virgin Mary, greeted her, called her highly favored, 
and announced that she would give birth to a baby boy and call his name Jesus. And what does Mary say? How can this be, since I do not know a man? Now here, we may know that it sounds like Mary is doing a little talking back herself. But consider more closely. She is not doubting or asking how she can be, how, how she can be sure that he is actually telling the truth like Zacharias did. No, here she is asking how. She is asking a good question that all of us should be asking. How? She's inquiring and searching and investigating. She is going to Bible class, so to speak, and asking a really good question. How is it that I, a virgin, can have a baby? When, as we all know, virgins do not have babies. And God's messenger receives the question with total respect and delights to answer her as she asked. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for who, for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. This satisfied Mary. She believed the word of God. She replied to Gabriel, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And she was not silenced. The teacher was silenced. Elizabeth's husband, the honored priest, was silenced. The teacher had nothing to teach, but the hearer, the one who asked how, the one who believed what was spoken to her of an impossible birth when she was told how, rejoiced at what was not impossible for God. The, the, the Magnificat, which we'll sing immediately after the sermon, every week for evening vespers, was spoken first by Mary, who believed. In order to sing her song in faith, all our reasoning must be silenced. And for this, God certainly continues to thunder the law, which silences every moral objection, every excuse that we make. God said it, it is true. Listen to him. But he also silences every reason, every reasonable objection that we have, and teaches us to ask with Mary, how? Just consider, what is the more impossible birth? For a child to be born of an old woman? I suppose they've been trying for years to have babies and couldn't. God bless them. For God to be born of a virgin? Well, he is God. He can do what he wants. Or for a poor, miserable, dead sinner who defies God, relies on himself, rejects what he can't wrap his mind around, and does what he thinks is right in his own eyes, 
to be given eternal life, holy fellowship with Almighty God, reconciled and bought back and made friends with him who hates his sin. What is the most impossible birth? The most impossible birth by far is the birth that Jesus directed Nicodemus to, the birth which John the Baptist was giving by command of God to all who came repenting of their sin, who directed them to another impossible birth, the Son of God in human flesh, the the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world by being lifted up on the cross to draw all men to himself. The most impossible birth is your birth. The most impossible birth is the birth that you need in order to see the kingdom of God. It is a birth not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. It is a birth that is given to you freely and in order that it might be by faith and therefore by grace, it is a birth that will defy your reason, offend your reason, and require that with the rest of your flesh and blood, you bury your reason deep in the grave that Christ was buried in, so that you might also rise. Rise with him who comes up again without any sin, but with peace and the promise of the Holy Spirit to all who believe. The Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to believe by enlightening our hearts with the truth of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Oh, it is by pure grace that these words of our Lord Jesus are so defied today, not just by the Baptists, but by our own reason, that we must be born again, that simple water in the word is truly a new birth. That when a baby is sprinkled there, that what, when what you don't remember occurred for you, or what you weren't fully thinking about or devoted to enough when you were an adult, if you were baptized then, that this actually caused you to be born like a newborn baby in heaven. So that for the rest of your sinful life here on earth, God looks at you and sees you as pure and holy. Oh, that is impossible. Thank God it is impossible, for we depend on impossible things. We depend on what is only possible for God. And so you see your baptism. You see the answer of a good conscience which God gives to you. You see all the reasoning of God's own heart and mind shown to you, where he unites you to him who united himself to you, who took all your sin. Whatever the Spirit can ever find in you, whatever Jesus found, whatever hidden motive, whatever secret grudge, whatever lust, whatever anger, whatever nonsense excuse, whatever pride you had in your own ability to think things through and to justify yourself, Jesus bears it upon himself in order to shut you up, to teach you to listen. To listen with Mary and say, let it be to me according to your word. For all my words bring are death, and all my birth gives is death. And no excuse I make will give me peace with God, but he who shuts me up gives me a song to sing. 
gives me joy, gives me certainty. The gospel is true whether I believe it or not, you know. And it's true whether you believe it or not, too. It is true for you. And that is why it is given to you in full measure, long before you could understand it. Just as you were born to your parents before you could make any decision or realize what it all entailed, what inheritance, what discipline. So what you need is given to you long before you could wrap your mind around it. But he plants his word in our hearts. The pure and precious gospel that teaches us that we impossibly wicked sinners are loved by God who hates our sin. He sent his son to bear it all so that by looking to him who bore it, no poison of the serpent, no venom in our own hearts can ever hurt us. We cling as flesh and blood to what we understand. But the spirit blows where he wills. And he teaches you to cling to what you will not understand, but what you will see for yourselves in heaven. For God sees it. He sees you as pure and holy in his sight. He sees it. And he wants you to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding guards our hearts and minds in Christ unto eternal life. Amen.